This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across new and pre-owned petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid and electric Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Lovely to have you with us on the show. Well, we're on high dough in LMFM today. Yes, we are. And the reason is the nominations, the shortlist for the IMRO Radio Awards, the National Radio Awards, were announced earlier today. And the station has received four nominations, which is absolutely wonderful. I want to say heartiest congratulations to my colleague Sinead Brazel. Uh, she's been nominated for Music and Entertainment Presenter of the Year. Well done, Sinead, and the very best of luck to you. Thrilled for you. And to Sarah McCann, a very good friend of ours on Late Lunch, documentary maker extraordinaire. Her documentary about Colette O'Hagan. Many of you know Colette O'Hagan out there. Legendary woman from Dundalk, has fostered many children in her lifetime. But our real claim to fame is the number of marathons she's run. She's run over a thousand at this stage. And Sarah made a wonderful documentary about Colette. And it's been nominated in the documentary category, which is very difficult to get a nomination in. And yes, Late Lunch are up for two awards this year. Uh, Delighted to say to you, the first one is for, you remember back earlier in the year, 40 Days and Nights for Slav, my campaign for Slav Vavro. Yes, it's been nominated in the social and uh, community section of the awards this year. And the other one is for Radio Moment, Saved by an Angel. You might remember, I think it was around October time last year, a young woman from Dundalk joined me on the show and told me her story where she went to the bridge in Castle Bellingham and she was going to end her life. And this woman pulled her back and saved her life. But she didn't know who she was. She came on to late lunch on a Friday and by Monday, the woman concerned had heard the podcast over the weekend and we reunited them on Monday on the show and what a moment that was and it has been shortlisted and I'm truly delighted. And I'm always delighted to be nominated. It's such an honour a privilege and a thrill. It really is. And I thank the judges and IMRO for the nominations and wish everybody well. All the nominees today all over the country in every radio station who've had a nomination. The best of luck on awards night on the 1st of October. If you want to get in touch with us on the show today, 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show, 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. And we have a cracking lineup for you this afternoon. But let's get straight to business with the man who is a regular on late lunch at this stage. He's head of the Department of Biology, Director of Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Paul Moyna, hello again. 
Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for joining me on the show. Paul, I suppose this question is on my mind and many people. Look, we want to get back to normal, Paul. Of course we do. But how do you reconcile the reopening that's going to be announced this evening, all done, it looks by looks like, by the middle of October, with the rising case numbers, hospitalisations and deaths, Paul? Yeah, I think if you look at it, the, the numbers are still very high. Um, thankfully, because of the vaccines and the vaccination rollout, um, the, the impact of those high case numbers are nowhere near as much as what there would have been, for example, last year, pre-vaccine mm. times. And I think that's what is the difference here. And I think over time, we will gradually move to from using you know, confirmed cases as the key indicator in terms of determining what guidelines, what policy should be in place, to one where we begin to look at the burden of the virus with respect to on the health system. And that's, for example, hospitalizations, ICU admissions and deaths. And I think that's what we will begin to focus on now, Jerry, in terms of formulating what our policy uh, should be. Certainly there are, there's always going to be risks as we remove restrictions. There will be risks in terms of increasing the number of cases. And if the cases become very, very high, even though the percentage of people that may end up being very unwell from that may be low, if that number is very high, you know, a small percentage of a very large number is still a very significant number. So we need to be, you know, have carry out you know, very, really strong surveillance on that. I myself, and you know, we've discussed this previously on the show. I think some of the opening, some of the lifting restrictions, probably could have been done earlier on in the summer on a more phased basis, where the risk was less, and that during the summer, the virus, these viruses and types of viruses, or respiratory viruses, tend to transmit less well. Whereas what we seem to have done, we've seen, we've taken this decision back end all of the lifting of the restrictions towards the latter end of the year but then we're moving into the autumn winter period where firstly viruses tend to transmit better and also we know with this virus there will be these breakthrough infections that as we progress beyond our second vaccine we've seen this in Israel the likelihood of getting infected even post-vaccination increases so and then we haven't seen the Delta variant in the winter before. But despite all of those qualifications, I still think the vaccine and the extensive rollout of that leaves us in a very good place with respect to giving us this, as described as this wall of protection and protecting a lot of people from the virus, not necessarily in terms of protecting, even though it does in many cases protect us from infection, but importantly protects us from getting very ill. The South African, uh, a South African strain of the virus is now in the news this morning. Hasn't been seen in Ireland before. There's a concern about it as well. With that in mind, there are going to be more variants. You've said that as well. Are you still confident that the barrier that the vaccines give us can deal with all comers? Yeah, I am, Jerry. I think it's very unlikely that you will see a variant that will totally evade the protection that's offered by the vaccine. I say that for a couple of different reasons. Firstly, in terms of what we know about, we shouldn't just ignore the science and the immunology, and I speak to an immunologist in terms of the immunology, how we, what we understand in terms of what happens, what the immune system does when it's exposed to a virus or a vaccine. What happens is when you're vaccinated or when you're exposed to a virus, you, your immune system produces antibodies. And those antibodies are produced within the first couple of weeks, and they will stay in your bloodstream for about four to six months. 
And then they tend to wane and they disappear. And they have to, because otherwise we'd end up in a situation where our blood is completely full of antibodies that have been generated because we've been exposed, because we're on, a, on a daily basis we're exposed to so many different viruses and bacteria. But so once we move beyond that time period, we're seeing this in Israel, people will become maybe prone to infection again. But importantly, when you're exposed to the virus then, you've got cells, memory cells, that will identify the virus and immediately start producing antibodies against the virus. And then we've also got these T cells that will kill any of our cells that are infected by the virus. It's that second line of immunity, that's the immunity that stops us from getting very sick. So that if you're, re- if you're infected post-vaccination, the virus may build up, you may get infected, it'll end up in the upper respiratory system. But before it gets a chance to move down into the lungs and to cause that damage that we, do, that we ascribe as and describe as uh, COVID, those memory cells, the antibodies and those T cells will go in and get rid of the virus before it does harm. And that's the protection. And the reason why I think it's unlikely that we will see variants that can totally escape that, the antibodies that we produce recognize maybe a handful of different regions of one of the proteins on the virus. So the variants can change those regions and maybe the antibodies don't work as well. But these T cells recognize hundreds of different regions. So it's going to be very difficult for a variant to change all those different regions and leave us, you know, powerless in terms of our immune system. So for that reason, I think you will see variants. Some variants may be able to evade to a certain extent, but I think it's going to be really difficult to evade. And even some of the studies, for example, the, the original the original SARS-CoV-1 that back in the early 2000s, some of those people that were subsequently exposed to SARS-CoV-2 now, they had still memory in their, in their immune system from having had been exposed to SARS-CoV-1, which is highly related to mm-hmm. SARS-CoV-2. So that shows you, first of all, in terms of how robust, but how long this immunity can last for. So I would be hopeful, based on what we know about immunity and how immunity works, that it's unlikely, I think, that we're going to have a variant that totally escapes. And all of the vaccines so far protect us against all the variants, especially when we talk about serious illness and hospitalisation. That's really reassuring, Paul, to hear that. Now, as we, uh, you and I talk today, there are many people in their cars listening to us waiting for children to come out of school, primary schools in particular, around this time now. And the debate is raging about primary school children and the wearing of masks. What's your opinion? I find it's a difficult one, Jerry. I'm sort of divided on it in terms of I, I can see why some people would, you know, support the use of masks in children from the point of view of wanting to protect it. I, I think it's important to ask the question, why, why why would you want children, you know, under the age of 12 in primary school to wear masks? And certainly one of the the reasons would be to directly protect the children and stop them from getting the virus. If there's anything positive from this pandemic, it's that children have been largely spared from the damaging effects of the virus. Yes, children can get the virus, can transmit the virus, but thankfully in terms of that progressing the serious illness, it's very, very rare, especially in terms of, you know, the deaths of children associated with COVID. Then you may say, okay, well, if they're relatively resistant, it will contribute to the spread of the virus. But again, if you look at the spread of the virus into the rest of the community, most of the people in that community have been vaccinated and so have, you know, varying levels of of protection. So 
I'm not completely convinced there in terms of the need to wear a mask. Also, in terms of the data, direct data to show how much protective effect that would give in a primary school setting, I don't think that data exists. And, and the reason why is that, for example, you know, how compliant, you know, if you look at a six, seven-year-old mm. child, how compliant would it be in terms of the use of those masks? Yeah. Certainly we know that face coverings do help not as much as surgical masks, not as much as the sort of the, the FPP2s and, and higher grade masks. So, and then you also have to look on the other side of, from an early developmental point of view, not only in terms of an educational point of view, but also in terms of a social interaction point of view, the importance of this sort of, you know, facial recognition, even in terms of emotions being conveyed. So I think there's lots of things there that we should really consider that, while our intentions may be good with respect to trying to protect the children from a risk that is very, very low, we don't know long-term in terms of the consequences of, of things like, you know, wearing masks for such young children. So my own personal view, Jerry, is that I'm not really convinced at the moment in terms of the need for masks. And the, and the, other, and the final point I would make is that if you look at children transmitting the virus and transmitting the virus onto others, especially in children under the age of 12, they do transmit, but less frequently than older children and adults. So for all those reasons, Jerry, as I say, I remain to be convinced of the need for masks to be used in, in primary schools. Interesting indeed, Paul. I always love to hear your views. Look, as I said to you before, you and I started talking way back and here we are still. And I suppose everybody listening today is weary at this stage. Weary but understanding, Paul, that if you get this and you're not vaccinated, you're in serious difficulty. And there have been millions of lives lost around the world and thousands upon thousands in this country as well. Beyond now, you were going to hear the Taoiseach speak this evening and look, we nearly know already what he's going to say, the way it works. But is there a need to still, you know, advise caution as regards, let's go back to the beginning. I, I was reading it here, nonsense, wash your hands, keep your distance, wear the mask, be careful mixing indoors. Will that, should that remain part of our, in our psyche and in our actions as well going forward for the foreseeable? I think it probably will in the sense that, you know, it'll be very fresh in our minds in terms of what this virus can do and the risk that it poses. And I, I think certainly in the government, I think what the teacher is likely to say that it will move more from a culture of one of being very prescriptive and in terms of restrictions to one that is more based around personal responsibility and one which is where, and I've mentioned this before and I think it's probably been underestimated, the need to maybe sometimes to be the best judge in terms of evaluating our own risk. And I think moving forward, I think some of that will stay with us. I think some of the measures that are unlikely, especially in adults that are unlikely to be associated with too much harm or too much risk, they will probably remain for some time. And I think you'll see a mix. I think some people, and I think we've already seen this, like some people say, you know, we're never going to go back to the old normal. I probably disagree a little bit on that. I think people adjust really, really quickly and go back to the old normal because the old normal is is the most natural way to be in terms of the social beings that we are. So, I think if the immediate risk of the virus is removed by virtue of the protection that the vaccines give us so that even if we're infected, you don't really see that translation. Yes, some people will end up very ill. Some people will end up in hospital and sadly some people will die. But if those numbers are relatively low, 
I think it doesn't take long for people to go back, you know, to the mm. old way of, of, of behaving. And I, I think that's probably just uh, human nature. But I think more broadly then, Jerry, I think, you know, we're talking today about Ireland and the very parochial local way. Um, and I think we're in, a, we're in a really, really good place. But I think now the focus needs to shift and broaden out because while we're in a good way, there are many countries around the world, especially low-income countries, where our access to vaccines is much, much lower. So we have at least, in terms of the number of vaccine doses that have been given, if you look at high-income countries, it's at least one per head of population. Ours is probably 1.2 at this stage. Whereas in some countries, it's 1%. Yeah. Now, that is really problematic for a number of reasons. First of all, in terms of the people in that country, and some of those countries haven't experienced the Delta variant yet, but there are highly vulnerable people there in terms of frontline healthcare workers, older people, underlying conditions. If they get the virus, they will die. And yet they have, don't have access to the vaccines. And yet you've had the high-income countries now talking about booster programs at a time when these low-income countries can't get access to the vaccines. And even though we've got an alliance, like, for example, the COVAX alliance that was set up to provide vaccines at an affordable and a timely way to poor countries... But this COVAX program now, not only is it competing with the high-income countries with respect to for limited supply of vaccines and in terms of affordability, but some of the richer countries now are actually going in and buying vaccines out of this COVAX pro- that should have been earmarked for lower-income countries. So that, that, in my view, and there's a big ethical discussion around that, but that needs to be had and need, it's needed urgently because some of these countries, I think it's just... It's a disaster waiting to happen because some of these countries haven't experienced the Delta variant yet. And if the Delta variant gets into a country where there's very little protection in terms of vaccination protection, that very can wreak like serious, serious damage. Indeed. One last quick one just from uh, Ray, who's been on to us. Uh, if, Paul, if what Paul says is true, that we'll always have a memory protection, then why are people still ending up in ICU, especially some young, fit people who are fully vaccinated? And why are there still deaths among vaccinated, healthy people? Yeah, so that, that's a really good question. So some people in terms of where immune system works, in terms of some of us get illnesses and the frequency of a certain illness, maybe a very low percentage. And some of that is just genetic in terms of our makeup. So some of our immune systems, it's quite a small numbers, maybe the immune response to the vaccine isn't very strong. It isn't very effective. And, and some people are immunocompromised, for example. So there are cases, thankfully, very small numbers of cases. But if you look at other cohorts, for example, that memory component, so when the antibodies wane in the bloodstream, the memory cells that we have, they tend to wane a bit more as we get older. And that is the reason why, as we age, we tend to be more susceptible. And many deaths are due to infections of various types because our immune system does wane. And those memory cells begin to wane as well. And it's mm. also the reason why, as we age, we tend to be more susceptible to cancers as well. So in those cases, Jerry, I think there's, you can absolutely justify, in terms of booster programs, for those people where immunity is waning. So when you get a booster, you can boost up these memory cells. Yes, as well as immediately boosting up the production of antibodies that will prevent you from getting infected. So whereas if you, Jerry, have a very strong, robust memory response, even if you're exposed to the virus, you're still protected from getting very sick. Whereas somebody who doesn't have those memory cells, it's probably better if they're actually not infected at all. Mm. So by giving the booster vaccine, 
they're protected because they, it boosts their antibodies that will stop the virus from infecting them in the first place. And again, we can do that in a very smart way because we can look at people, we can take a blood sample, and we can measure the amount of antibodies they have and then make an informed decision in terms of whether it should be boosted or not. But again, that hasn't been discussed as of yet, okay. but I think that's the way we need to move. Paul, fantastic as usual. Thank you so much for your expertise, opinions and time as always. You're very welcome, Jerry. Thank you, Professor Paul Moyner there, Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Transfer deadline day. I know we have a lot of uh, English soccer club supporters out there who listen in. There's just a few hours left. Will your club sign anybody, the Gunners? <laughs> I just have to laugh now when I hear the word Arsenal. They're signing everybody and anybody with no plan, no direction. The Gunners don't need to sign. They need to get rid of everybody. They need to get rid of their manager, Edu, that fellow behind the scenes, a couple of others as well. They're not gooners, they're goons behind the scenes at the Emirates at the minute. And unless that changes, I worry, I worry for the Arsenal, I have to say. Anyway, who would you like to see your club sign? Ronaldo's fixed up, you can't get him. What about the guy in Germany that everybody wants to sign? Haaland, will he move today? Will Mbappe leave Paris Saint-Germain and go somewhere? Will there be a last-minute deal when the bell rings that the time is up? Anyway, if you'd like to sign somebody, if you have an opinion, let me know. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me to the show. 1850-715-958. If you'd like to call in, Jerry, any sign of China being made to pay for what's happened? Or was this all a setup around the world? world says a listener well the jury's out on where it originated yes it seems to have originated of course in china but a lab or from a creature into a human being or whatever but uh you probably have a point there you know um if it was an accident well if it came out of a lab it's a different story anyway thank you for your comment today oh peter's back i was missing him i'm really missing you peter we thought something happened to you or you mightn't have been well or whatever you let Miner spout out his propaganda on the air, but you won't let anyone tackle him. It's not propaganda, Peter. He speaks the truth. The man is a scientist. He believes in what he does. Science has saved millions and millions of lives around the world, and so on and so on you go. Thanks, Peter, for the comment. Nice to hear from you, and that you're still out there rattling the sabres. All you Arsenal fans should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, my God, there's somebody chiding me today for wanting rid of Wenger. Yes, I wanted rid of him, and I make no bones about it. He was there too long. You can be too long. You can. He uh, he had lost it. I know they qualified for the Champions League. I know they're in the top four and they won a cup or two. They never challenged for the league. He had ten good years, and after that, I'm afraid. But look at, at Arsenal. The problem's behind the scenes completely. It's a mess. There are people there who haven't a clue by the looks of things. I read a great article in the Daily Mail today about it. It's terrific. It's on the nail with them. But anyway, sure, they're over there in London. They've loads of money, and they're paid big bucks to sort things out and let them at it. I won't be losing a night's sleep over it anyway, let me tell you. I follow them from a distance, as Nancy Griffith said in her song, and that's the way it is. Now we move on on Late Launch. I have mentioned it many times on the show, you know, how I love the outdoors. I was given the gift of loving it by my dad, uh, I have to say, when I was a child, and I always loved the outdoors. I'm an outdoor kind of guy and always have been all my life. But sadly... With this new WWW, an online world, etc., you can sit in your arse all day and not move out of your chair and occupy this space. But you're losing out and your children are losing out. And one woman in County Meath is determined to turn the tide and she joins me on late lunch. Steph Green, hello. 
Hi, Jerry. It's great to talk to you. Great to talk to you too. Well, tell us why you did this. I suppose I encountered a, 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 the issue in my own house. Um, I always thought of myself as kind of outdoorsy. And when my three boys were young, we spent a lot of time outdoors, you know. And then, you know, they started school and I went back to work. And, you know, life gets busy. And all of a sudden, we're at the start of the pandemic and I have a 10-year-old at home and a six and a seven-year-old. And the 10-year-old is point blank refusing to go out. It's like 25 degrees. I mean, remember the start of the, the, start of the pandemic, we had fabulous weather. Yep. And we had all sorts of stuff outside for him to play with. But he had just lost that vibe and that good feeling about going outdoors. He'd forgotten how to do it. And at the time, I was just so disappointed for him and in myself going, how did I let this happen? And um, so it got me thinking about it. And I said, I, I questioned, it's just maybe just where he is right now. He's becoming a teenager. He's entering that world nearly. Or is it something I can change? So Nature Days came out of an experiment we did at home, myself and my husband. And we said, you know what? Every single day after five o'clock, we're going to down tools and we're going to go out for a little walk. And I'm not talking now a big, you know, hour around the block mm. job here, Jerry. I was saying we were going to go literally about 100 yards up the road, explore a little We, You know, it's actually a graveyard. It sounds morbid, but it's an open space for kids. Mm. And, and come back 20 minutes max. And my son, my eldest in particular, I mean, kicked and lashed and did everything to get out of it. Through all sorts of spite and anger at us about it. Because, you know, he just wasn't into it. He, wasn't, he didn't want to do it. And how could we force him to do this? But I had my mind made up. I said, you know what? No, we're going to do this. This is a small ask. We're going to do it. So the first day, my other sons kind of were convinced fairly quickly and they went off with their daddy. And my eldest was kicking in and he was, there's no way he was going to do it. But eventually I said, look, at we're going out anyway. And I locked the door behind us. And we made it about 100 yards you know, out the gate that day. We didn't make it for the walk with everybody else. But every day we stuck at it that week. And by the third day, he was outside the door himself on his bike waiting for us. And by, I would say the Friday morning, I came down in the morning to have breakfast and the three boys were outside playing before they'd even put on clothes and had breakfast. You know, mm. they had just gone outside themselves and it showed me something. And I think it was something that I knew myself and I was hoping myself, but it showed me that it's actually not their age and it's not, it's not where you live or what, what it's just that, you know, we have to kind of give them the connection to the outdoors. We have to bring them to nature and that like any muscle in the body, it can get weak and flabby and we can very easily let it go to one side. But what I want to do with Nature Days is really show parents. Literally, I had a kicking and lashing, you know, hell monster there in my hands. It was not an easy job now. I had to really, you know, put my head down and say, I want to do this. And it, it took a week. And now I, I made such a difference to them, how they even yes. got on together and the fun they had all after that and everything. So Nature Days was born out of this idea that, you know, I reckon there's other parents in the same boat that I was in. And the first move is the toughest, as you said, to get them up off yeah. their backsides and get them out. But, you know, you make a good point there. It's habit as well. When you get them out and get them going, well, you establish it quite quickly. And that is good news for everybody. But there's no doubt about it. Sedentary life is the easiest and the most convenient thing to do. And I don't have to tell you, first, I want to say to you, nature days.ie is terrific you have a wonderful website i have to say that to you and it's well worth checking out folks naturedays.ie to give you ideas about you know getting started and what to do but look at on our doorsteps your back garden i know you mentioned this for a start in your neighborhood you mentioned the little cemetery there nearby it's there it's right beside all of us it's just a question of getting out there isn't it and getting going And, and that's what nature days is about fundamentally nature days if you wanted to put it into one little 
say it's it's getting childhood back outdoors and outdoors means literally past your own back back door or front door because I think we get into the habit and I suppose as adults as well I'm looking for recreation and recreation for me is going somewhere for a really nice walk and that has a bit of a cafe whereas I you know for me it became actually you know what the kids need to just play at home around home uh, with whatever's out there so nature days what it's about is it's full. The, there's, when you go into the homepage, Nature Days, you're going to see two main tabs. The first is the activity finder. So if you went no further, you go in there and you, it's broken down into the time you've available. Because I don't believe in guilt. I'm, I'm only about awareness. And I know people are busy. I know people are stressed. And I know there's so many distractions and kids are busy, actually. Yes. So I, I start with 15 minutes. I, I really put a lot of effort into the 15 minutes category because I think that parents, let's just start with 15 minutes. Let's not be going for the two-hour you know, hike at the weekend because mm. that might never happen. And it brings you out to your garden. It might just bring you to your windowsill where you might plant some herbs. It might just bring you to your kitchen counter where you say, you know what, we're actually going to keep a plant alive. This is how we're going to start nature in our family. It starts small. It starts accessible. And it's activity finder when you go in is full of things that you can two swipes, three swipes on your phone and you are there with a fun little activity to do that are going to keep the kids engaged. And what was important for me as well, it kept me engaged. I used to find that when I followed the kids out to the garden, I was kind of bored myself, you know? Mm. So it was kind of like, now I have spotters for all sorts of different animals or different plants or different, you know, insects or little games you can play. And so we're all having fun. We're all spending time together. And so even though we might've thought, you know what, I'm going to give this 15 minutes, it ends up being longer anyway. And that's just the way it goes because we're just having fun. And the kids are just exposed to nature. We don't have to be, you know, spouting science or telling them the ins and outs of how a tree grows or, you know, we don't have to go that far. They can get that in school. All we're giving them is their senses. All their senses are firing because it's the textures, it's the sounds, it's the smells, it's everything they're seeing. And it's changing all the time. Mm. And that's the difference between playing outside and the difference and, uh, to playing inside. Yes. It's and I, I know you, you've you said yourself, you're not a technophobe by any means, like myself. No. But it has its place. It's wonderful in so many ways and it's useful. But by God, we've got to connect. We've got to connect with nature, this lovely planet that we live on. I love your section, actually, may I say, nine tips for connecting with nature. And they're really sensible and perhaps maybe obvious to some people. But for others, they're not quite obvious at all. I was laughing at one I think you mentioned there, bring nature indoors and I could just picture a lion in your kitchen. Yeah, oh yeah I mean if my kids got away with it and lion I mean my car is you know, to be honest with you I need an iPhone Williams trailer to pull my to pull my stuff and they, I would. some people call it junk it's the kids treasure, yeah. right? They never get sick of bringing treasure and even now the 11 year old would be finding things and it's stick that's bent a certain way that now it's like you know a nerf gun you know yep. so wherever your imagination brings them I just go with it yeah um, and of course and suppose, you also yeah. you all sorry for cutting across you there, there are yeah. things there like you say get out into your garden get their hands dirty you know people that won't even let them get dirty and they have to be pristine clean yeah. forget about that well there's muck there's luck and more besides Absolutely. And and like, to be honest with you, I'm not judging anybody. That's a, a huge thing about Nature Days is I know so clearly and, and with clarity that parents and, and uh, are busy, you know, where everyone is so busy, right? So the last thing I want to do is come across as a hassle or it's a ha- I have to do or it's a guilt thing. It's not about that. Like, so if you, if you kind of grew up in a house where you really weren't brought outside yourself and you were kept clean all the time and that was important in your household when you were young, naturally, you're probably going to be the same yourself. So, and, and you could have the complete reverse of that, or you might just like things orderly. And that's, I have no problem with that. 
All I'm suggesting and saying is that, look, if you if you want to get them, you know, with their hands dirty, you can wash them. You can bring a bit of sterilizer afterwards or a few wipes. That's no problem. But it's really important on a couple of levels. Number one, that they get that sensory experience of feeling the dirt and, the, just, you know, what's going on in the soil. Because we all come from the soil and we'll all end up in the soil. And that is just part of life. Mm. And the second thing is that there's actually studies done show that there's so many important microorganisms and, and bacteria in there that actually boost children's immune system. So rather than the cleanliness that has possibly been, if anything, the pandemic has shown us that the outdoors are so necessary, the sterile fake air that we have inside and keeping too clean actually doesn't boost our immune system at all. It can actually do the opposite. So from what I can I, I see that, you know, being outdoors is a natural instinctive thing that kids will want to do and we give them the opportunity, but it actually has health benefits, emotional benefits, the psychological benefits, and at school even, their concentration and clarity increases. Studies show that children get to play in natural um, playgrounds during school. Their performance at school is even better. So, you know, there, there's so many benefits um, yes. um, and, and to, to children in so many ways and actually to ourselves when mm. we actually go out with kids and start to enjoy it. Too. And we've certainly learned this last year and a half, ha- heading on for a year and nine months nearly at this stage, that outdoors is the safest place to be. And I know people will say, oh, look, it's nice when the weather is good and this, that and the other. But listen, the seasons are beautiful. And you know, I don't have to tell you, get the clothing, put the wellies on, yes. get out there no matter what the weather or season. Absolutely. And, and I suppose every, there's different people have different challenges. Some people might have their own personal barriers. OK, maybe it might be dirt or maybe just, you know, into the outdoors. Right. So maybe you're you, you have a friend who's more into the outdoors or a relative or somebody in your life, maybe a grandparent. So you kind of say, look, I'm not into this. I'm not into bringing them into that forest or down this nature trail or, or digging in the garden outside. You might have somebody, you know, who likes potting a few plants. So pull those people into it, too. And then also like just. I, I think that, look, you have to dress for success. So you put the kids in the old duds, you know, really the old duds, so that if they are ending up covered in muck and dirt, you're not stressing about it because they haven't got their nice, clean Sunday dress on them. Absolutely put their Sunday dress on them, going to the event or the place you want to go or visiting your friends and family. But when they're home, just let them in the old duds. The older, the better. The more holes in them, the better as far as I'm concerned. And for ourselves, it has to be the same because yeah. all our kids want fundamentally what they want is our time. They want our attention. And the best, the easiest and the best tip I can give any mother or father out there or grandparent or whoever wants to get their the, the young people in your lives and the kids more connected with the outdoors and nature is we get down and we get into it with them. We get dirty, we get hands on and we show them. Because the kids, if they see us kind of stepping back from both and getting a bit, oh, what's that? Or that's a bit dirty. They'll just learn from that and do the same. Mm. So we go in and we, we lift over this rock and say, God, look what's underneath this rock. Yes. Oh my God, what's behind that log? What are all these cobwebs doing in this old tree or in this old stone or this old, rock, this old um, wall? So by showing, they learn this is okay, this is safe, this is fun. And mom and dad or my aunties and uncles or granny or granddad are having fun doing it too. My teacher's having fun. This is okay for me to do. So we show the kids that it's okay to get their hands dirty. It's okay to explore. And it's in them anyway. Leading by example is what it is. So that's the the message today. I really like you. I like what you do. I like the message you're sending. And I encourage listeners to check it out. Naturedays.ie, a wonderful resource to point you in the right direction. Lovely to talk to you. I'm sure I'll speak to you again. Thanks, Steph, for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Louise. Thanks, guys. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Steph Green there. And she has it sussed. I like nothing better 
than the duds. Forget about anything else. I'm dressed up a bit today for a reason. But I love the duds. It's my favourite way to be in life. Stay with us because you do know, you will have heard in the news, I'm sure, that our Eve McChrystal and Katie George Dunleavy have won gold at the Paralympics. We're talking about it next. Thank you so much, Liam. I'd like to congratulate you and Sinead and all the crew on being nominated for the National Radio Awards. We all have low days, bad news, bad letters, COVID, etc., and so do you, but you never show it. So it gets us through crappy times, and I want to thank you for my sometimes unstable sanity. <laughs> Liam, we love it, and thank you for that lovely message. It really is heartening to hear uh, those lovely words. Thanks indeed. Another one there from Mina Curran and Kells. Congratulations, Jerry, to you all and your nominations. It comes as no surprise as you and the late lunch bring great comfort and entertainment to us all day, every day in the afternoons. Ah, oh, Mina, thank you indeed for that one as well. It's lovely to hear uh, from you and everybody else. I have more messages there. I'll come back to them in a wee while, I promise you. News breaking from Tokyo a wee while ago. Well, they won silver already. Well, they've topped the silver with a goal. Yes, I'm talking talking about Katie George Dunleavy and her own Eve McChrystal who've won gold in the B time trial. Now, Eve is tied up in Tokyo at the moment. We are talking to her tomorrow. She'll be with us on the show. Brian McChrystal, you're not second best. I'm delighted to have you with me today. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, I have been second best for a good while. <laughs> no, Brian, here, listen, come here. Let's not start on that, that note. Tell me, what is it in the McChrystal DNA and bicycles? Will you please let us in on the secret? Uh, a bit of hard work and determination and uh, some good luck genetics uh, came our way, I think. Mm. Well, it did, by the spadeful, you and herself as well. Well, what's the the, the sense in the McChrystal household today with this goal? It must be fever pitch. Yeah, we're delighted. Um, look, we the first race, the, the, the pursuit last week, uh, when they got the silver, was it this week? Yeah, it was last week. And um, it was a bit of a shock because we weren't really expecting a medal there. But it, it came at no surprise. Um, but the two races that they're looking towards would be the road um, in the time trial and now the road race in, in a couple of days. But to get the, the silver on the track was brilliant and now to get the gold, you know, kind of, it's pressure off even now. It's brilliant to get the gold because when they're training so long, kind of working towards a goal, you know, it's always gold medal that is in their head. And to get that now, I think, will even ease the pressure for the road race and anything can happen now. Mm, that's on the 3rd of September. And actually, yeah. I was talking to uh, herself, Eve, before she went. And you're you're right. She said to me, the first two events aren't ours, Jerry. Really, to be honest with you. She said, watch us in the second two. And when I, the silver the other day, my word, what a bonus that was. And as you say, now they have the gold and the pressure's off going into the final event to come. Um she puts in an awful lot. You mentioned there a minute ago yourself. This takes, Brian, you know it well from your success as well, dedication in the extreme. Yeah, you need... It's 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 very simple. You just need to show up every day and work hard and work smart. And that's what she's done. And that's what herself and Katie have done the last in this Olympic cycle. Um, and it's five years since Rio. And they show up every day to put in endless amount of work and endless amount of smart work and you have to kind of give a lot of credit to an unsung, unsung hero in her coach um, and partner Neil Delahaye 
you know, he really has, he set the bar many years ago and have just the, the bought into into what he thought and believed that they could do. And, you know, the backing up um, from Rio Olympics where they got gold there and they, they, they found medals in Rio and they've come again. And like Eve's 43 now and she's getting better every year. The stats don't lie, you know, and the only reason she's getting better is because she's working hard. You know, and she's trusting in her coach and the program, and they really have something special going on. And you know, it can even continue to France in there the next you one. Go well. I'm I'm talking to her tomorrow. I'm going to put that to her. I'll say, Brian, has your penciled in for France already? I, uh... well, don't tell don't tell <laughs> my mother that. <laughs> Oh, wait. Now, there's a woman, your mam. And and I know Eva's mentioned this to me on many times, on many occasions, that without her, this couldn't be. No, well, look, she is the, the backbone of it all. Um, she's the glue. Um, Eva's two young kids, um, Eva and Nessa, um, 13 and 11. And, you know, mam does, you know, she... she does a shift <laughs> and you know and it's it has been very hard with Eva way but we knew that and you know any help that we can do as well we do as a family um, we work hard together um, but yeah my mum has been great uh, she she, re- she deserves that gold medal as well as Eva mm, behind yeah, every great yeah. woman is a great team what's your mammy's name remind me Francis oh Francis listen you better have that gold medal, Francis, round your neck and yeah, the tricolour yeah, flying. She will. Yeah, oh, she will. She will. Um, no, on on no uncertain terms was Eve to come home without the gold medal, <laughs> and that was uh, that was said said to her from the mum. Mm. The two girls you mentioned, they must be thrilled for Mammy to see her on television and being successful. Such an inspiration for them. Yeah, she is. They're they're super proud. I haven't spoke to the two girls myself yet, but um, we had an unfortunate incident. Nessa, the youngest, she broke her arm. <laughs> she fell of a horse last week. Uh, so, but look, it's okay. I think it was a wrist she broke. So she's in plaster. So they they didn't tell Mammy that uh, before the pursuit final. They waited till after to tell her. Mm. But um, we Nessa, she's uh, she's tough as old boots, so she um, she just carries on regardless, you know. Ah, oh, good on you, yeah. Nessa. Speedy recovery, and you look, it's all in a part and parcel of sports people again. You know, getting the knocks and bumps growing up. You know what I'm talking about, yourself, Brian. And uh, you know, well done to her. And you know, I, I know something like that when you would tell her the worry. No, you don't need any worry at all, Brian. When you're when you're focused. No, you don't. Um, well, look, she's a mother too, so mm. she naturally, she naturally will worry. Um, but uh, like, this is their job. Um, Eve and Casey, you know, the yes, she, she Eve is uh, a guarder, but she's been lucky enough to to kind of to, to allowed her to train for um, be in this program. So she's time off. She's kind of she's a lot to thank f- from them. The flexibility that they've shown towards her and support. But they are full-time athletes. Uh, they work for this. Like they're, they're so, they give themselves no other option but to, to medal and podium. This this old attitude of Ireland is great. To, the Olympic medal sometimes for us as a nation, our mentality might think that to get there is the medal. Mm. But we don't. They don't think like that anymore. Mm. They want to be with the Brits. They want to be with the the New Zealand, the Aussies. Yeah. You know and. They're there, they've reached that level and now the, the Brits and the Aussies and they're looking at 
their program now? What yes. are the Irish doing now? And it's great to see mm, it. You know, mm. that that's the way that's the way they think. This way, I think I think uh, it's brilliant for them. You know, they've they've set the bar, they've pushed past that. Even the pursuit that they did uh, the other day, like it was a surprise, but like they were on a new bike. You know, so the equipment was there. They were level par with 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 the other nations. So for years and years, the girls have been racing against these these uh, nations on inferior equipment not mm. not not last week and that's why they showed what they can do when you put the body the ability that what the body and the legs and the lungs and all that can do you pair that with the equipment you have a winning formula so it was great to see it and it was it was lucky it was great that they broke the world record for us yeah. <laughs> for how many minutes they did it's something that they can always say mm. but you know it might even change their attitude to say, "Well, maybe we are a contender on the track from mm. now on." Mm. You know, mm. you know, but we can go down the old attitude, old talk about a velodrome leader in the country, but. Yeah. yeah, that's probably for another day. That is for another day. We won't get started on that one because blood pressures will just rise all round. Let's yeah. celebrate today Katie George Dunleavy and Eve McChrystal winning gold in the B time trial in Tokyo, Tokyo at the Paralympics. Brian, well done to all the McChrystals and the support yeah. team, as you mentioned. Francis, the children, yourself, everybody. Couldn't happen to nicer people. And she yeah, is going to speak to us tomorrow on the show. But thank you so much for joining me today, Brian. Thank you. Bye. Take care of yourself. Bye. That's Brian McChrystal there. Even McChrystal's brother speaking to us on late lunch. Paul's been on to me to say, Jerry, be careful what you wish for with Arsenal. I'm a long-suffering Nottingham Forest fan. Oh, I know another of those as well, to be honest with you. I'd take Wenger as manager any day, says Paul in Drogheda today. Wenger for Forest. Well, wish you luck. I was great, he was, and the success he achieved. But unfortunately, Arsenal stood still. Time passed him by, and money and investment in other clubs, etc., etc. And the nuance behind the scenes that David Dean had when he was there with Wenger is totally lost. It's quite obvious. Anyway, I'd love to see Arsenal sold by the Cronkies uh, to somebody who really will grab the bull by the horns. That would be the ultimate goal, I think, for many Gunners fans. Late Lunch LMFM Radio. Are you working at home this afternoon? Have you been working at home since the beginning of the pandemic? Struggling a little bit? Finding it a, a different world altogether? Well, you'll want to stay with us on Late Lunch because Fiona Buckley has all the answers next. Thank you, Sheila. Sheila Maloney, great friend of ours in Julianstown, uh, sending us congratulations on the award nominations. Lovely to hear from you, Sheila, this afternoon. Uh, John's been on from Bohermine to say, Jerry, there's hedge cutting going on already in the Bohermine area. Uh, it shouldn't go on, John. 1st of September. I know it's tomorrow, but they're jumping the gun by 24 hours. Doesn't surprise me, to be honest with you. But uh, 1st September to February is hedge cutting in Ireland season. And uh, Jerry, do any of your listeners recall a big metal raft on Terminfeck in Strand? We sat and played of it. Played in it way back till it rusted away over the years. Was it off a ship or a plane? It's a mystery to me, says Maria. A metal raft, Termin Feckenstrand, not the old ship now, not the old ship at Paltrea. I know that's nearly gone at this stage. Anyone remember that at Termin Feckenstrand? 086 1800 658. WhatsApp or text me to the show 1850 715 958 if you'd like to call in. 
Now, March 2020 foisted on the world a new way of working. Many of us, including yours, truly had to beat a path to home and work for there for month on end. And many people are still in their homes working away. We hear today the government is to announce a return to the office from mid-September, but the thought is that there'll be a new way of working, a blended way, a mixture of in the office and at home. And with this in mind, I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon, work behaviourist, empowerment coach and leadership facilitator and winner of the Solo Dublin Business Winner Business Award 2021, Fiona Buckley. Hello. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I want to say this to you and put my cards on the table straight away. I mentioned there, I was one of these people who for six months uh, in my office at home sat there with this microphone in front of me and looking at a wall and being connected with all this wonderful technology back to here and out to late lunch land. And Fiona, I'm absolutely being honest with you. I struggled. Yeah. And, and you know what? Many, many people did, Jerry. And we've come into this kind of way of working now over the last 18 months where some people have kind of turned that corner and actually are loving working from home. And what I'm hearing from a lot of people is this anxiety nearly coming from them saying, "Uh oh, now this kind of September thing is coming back. We've actually got to go back to the office. So what I'm seeing a lot of is very mixed feelings from from very different people. And for example, introverts, right? So I do a lot of work with personalities and introverts were delighted when they started working from home because they said we can we can work on the things we need to work on. We can block out all that white noise and all that extroverted banter that sometimes can annoy us. And then they were delighted. They are now really getting that kind of social anxiety coming back now where they have to go back in. And their productivity actually has soared through the roof that I've heard a lot of um, from companies as well. Extroverts, on the other hand, who uh, which I am, <laughs> um, you know, chatty, <laughs> bouncy, loves chatting with people. They really, really struggled. And I actually had to go in and work with lots of teams of kind of creative professionals like marketing people that really struggled working from home because they really miss that connection or, you know, sticking your head above the parapet. Just want to bounce an idea off you, John, that kind of thing. And they really, really struggled. And I may say that I'm in that extrovert category as well. And, you know, it's funny when you talk to somebody who knows it's something you don't think about. But I really miss people. I miss the company. I missed here in the in the studio. Most of my guests came in face to face. No longer. It's Zoom like you are today and telephone, etc. But now, you know, Fiona, this is the thing. I now have this blended thing. I'm back in studio here. Thank God I am. I love it. Uh, there are not a lot of people in the LMFM building anymore. It's incredible to see it. Uh, but I work at home mornings, come in before the show, work the show, stay here we will afterwards and back home again. And to be honest with you, I like this. I like it. Yeah. And that's the secret sauce, Jerry, is the half and half model or the blended model. And a lot of organizations I'm speaking with now at the moment are saying Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they'd like people back in the office on a staggered basis or or some sort of basis. But that Monday and Friday that people can actually stay at home. And that is absolutely great news for people who are working from home because they like that Monday and Friday. And it's kind of universally known that Tuesday is one of the best productive days, no matter what you work at. Um, That's because Monday we're getting back after the weekend. 
and Tuesday is a very productive time to have your staff meetings and things like that. So the secret sauce really is that blended way because people don't want to be commuting five days a week. It doesn't make any sense for productivity or anything like that. But on the other hand, we crave human interaction. We want connection. And that gives us both ways that, that we can we can do that. So but, I think organizations have lots of decisions to make uh, r- regarding how they're going to make it work. I'm just thinking that's why you're with me on Tuesdays, the most productive day <laughs> of the week. That's why Fiona Buck is here. on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Fiona, here's the thing. What do you say to people listening today who are, you know, introverts and perhaps really concerned about, you know, going back and, you know, reintegrating into the office. How do you, you know, prepare yourself for that? Yeah, and like I, I don't like putting people in labels either, like introverts, yeah. extras, because actually a lot of us, Jerry, are ambiverts, and some people have never even heard of that term before. But an ambivert is someone who's actually a bit of both. They can be introverted, they like their own space, but then they love interaction. So two thirds of the world's population are in that kind of middle zone. Mm. But for people that are maybe that little bit quieter and have enjoyed that time, it's about really looking and saying, what are you going to actually enjoy about going back? What elements like routine or meeting your friends for coffee? What What elements did you enjoy before you went out in the pandemic? I know it's 18 months ago, but we have to cast our minds back to that. No matter what your personality type is, we all crave human interaction. We want to collaborate with people and we want to meet people. So it's about like seeing what are the benefits for you as an individual, because we're all wired very differently. Introverts, extroverts, regardless, we need that connection and that interaction. And, you know, like motivation is a key part of of this as well, Jerry. is, you know, as we go back into this autumn period where some of the kids are going back to school, we need to fire up that motivation again to see, okay, the summer period is over. All of our routine has been a bit out of whack. How do we motivate ourselves? And in order to be motivated, we need to have a sense of validation. And what that means is like we want to be want to validate our day. So when you close down the laptop at five o'clock or six o'clock, whenever you finish, do you feel you've given yourself to that job that day? Do you feel validated? And in order to feel validated, we have to interaction with people to do that. So that's an important part of what we need to do. And what I'm saying to a lot of people, regardless if you're in the office or at home, pick between three to five kind of professional things that you want to get done in a day. And that's whether you're in the office or outside the office at home. Three to five tasks, things like finishing a report or something like that. But equally, pick three to five personal things that you want to do that day. So meet a friend for coffee, go for a walk, do some yoga, things like that. And that tip has has helped people a lot, no matter what their work situation. So the rule of three to five, both personally and professionally every day. What about on the management side? And I'd say, I'll tell you one thing I felt a loss uh, of as well uh, as being an employee, that team ethic of being part of a team. You know what I mean? You know, that that feeling to be part of a group and working in unison. When you're out working on your own, I, I think you lose that. That's just from a personal point of view. But what from a management point of view? How do you work to ensure uh, your teams don't feel like that and feel always feel part of the greater yeah. And because visibility is a big thing, Jerry, yeah. that's what a lot of people have struggled with. And again, more kind of louder characters will never struggle with visibility. They'll always find a way, even on social media or something to get their voice out. So one of the big leadership challenges has been to make sure 
everybody is included, no matter what, you know, new joiners as well. So people who have just joined organizations during COVID. Can you imagine how hard that is? Um, you know, starting an organization and your first day could be in your pajamas <laughs> sitting in front of your laptop. I mean, that's things we have to look out to. for a leader. The things that you need to be careful of is just putting that pulse on the team because a team product productivity and a team motivation is just as important as an individual being motivated. And I think, you know, regular one-to-one check-ins, but proper one-to-one check-ins, not about the business or the latest things that are happening with customers, but actually how that person is getting on and checking in. There's a great exercise I encourage leaders to do in a team meeting, and you can actually do it just on your own as well. And it's called uh, what we call day-to-day processing. So the end of your workday, when you look back at your day, ask yourself, what was good about today and why? And what was really hard about today or challenging or what am I annoyed with after today and why? And when we do that, we check in and see how our day has gone. When you do this in a team setting, people give all sorts of information that they'd never give. Because, you know, in Ireland, Jerry, the, the common question is, well, how are you? How's it going? And mm. the usual response is in grant or oh, I'm just getting on with it. That's the real Irish response. So what we want to do is coax out that little bit more information. So if you ask them for the top and tail of their or week or their day, how what was the best part of your day and why? What was the worst and why? You get so much more information. And when you do that in a team setting, the team really bonds. And there's a lovely camaraderie developed because people start going, oh, yeah, me too. That's that happened to me this week was brilliant. So you can do it as a team. You can do it as an individual. You can actually do it with people that you live with at home, because when you ask them what was the best part of your day and why and the worst, you kind of get to see what's going on with with your your partner, your spouse, your mother, your father, whoever you live with. Because what I've seen a lot uh, of things happen, Jerry, is that you're, you're transferring all the stuff from the day into the home environment. And either we work in a blended way or we work in um, a complete work from home scenario. We have to be very mindful of that boundary and that separation. Th- thanks for that. And I- I'm just seeing messages that are coming into me here, some by text and-, and on the WhatsApp. I'm watching it here. And I'm just going to paraphrase rather than reading them all because I want to maximise yeah. my time with you. Um, here, I'll just paraphrase these. People are saying they're enjoying listening to what you have to say, uh, but want to make the point that uh, the changing ways working from home has been such a benefit not commuting and you know where we are here in the commuter counties of Meath and Loud which had thousands heading into the city every day and look at the benefits from that and that's basically paraphrasing what people are saying they want this to continue in a fashion Fiona even if it's blended Absolutely. And I 100% agree with that, Jerry, because it has worked. This productivity has soared. People are feeling so much better. They're able to kind of get on with their home lives, their responsibilities at home and with work. And it work, it's working so well to do it that way. So I, I am a huge fan of this and I think it's here and it's going to stay. I mean, some organizations aren't asking their people to go back at all or maybe one day every two or three weeks. So what I would say to everybody listening is, you know, focus on yourself. What do you need and then put that forward with your employer. And that's for individuals, for leaders or managers that are listening. Again, if your team has shown results, if productivity is still booming, there is no need to change it fundamentally unless there's a business reason to do so. But I think what we really have to do is have a happy medium that suits everybody, because this is definitely going to here to stay. And from what I'm speaking with recruiters and things like that, everybody who's applying for jobs right now, the first question they're asking is, is there flexible working arrangements? Is there some sort of hybrid or work from home model? Because this is definitely here to stay. And I think it's a good thing. And 
I was going to ask you the next question. There's no need now because you mentioned vis- visibility and you mentioned the up in productivity. There is an old style management where you've got to see everybody for every hour of every day and a lack of trust. Do some people need to learn the new ways on the management side? Absolutely. And that what keeps me very busy, Jerry, <laughs> is, um, is, is educating and training leaders in that space. Because if you have a leader who doesn't trust their team, that can sometimes be that leader or their manager's issue themselves. So not everyone is cut out to be a virtual leader. So we really have to see, you know, where is the trust of that person? And there's two types of people in the world, those that trust or those that don't trust. There's no in between in relation to that. So trust and results and output are key. We have to move away from that old nine to five kind of methodology because some people genuinely aren't morning people. And when they're working from home, they can start sometimes that little bit later that suits them, but they get far much more done in the afternoon. So everything has to be based on output, not time. And that's the key thing that we have to look at. But there is managers and leaders that still need some more work in the space to make it work. May I say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday, Fiona Buckley for me, any day of the week. Never mind, it's the most productive day, as she says herself, on Tuesday. I want more of you. I'll be back to you if that's okay. Absolutely. Thanks, Jerry. Take Thank care. you so much for joining me on the show today. You've been a real breath of fresh air. Thanks, Fiona. Good wishes to you. Bye-bye. 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 That's Fiona Buckley there. What a brilliant woman she is. I'm not surprised she's been acknowledged for her work. Didn't she make some wonderful points there? I will be back to her. I will indeed. And you don't go anywhere. Stay with us on Late Lunch. It's a godsend, isn't it, for people that don't have to commute. I saw it myself in my own family up at the crack of dawn, pulling children out of bed, dropping them off. You know, all that ease back. And I think it opened people's eyes as to how it could and should be. And the peace and harmony it brought to families. It's just, you just couldn't put a price on that. And we got to work with this new way of working as Fiona Buckley said there and I I have a number of messages along those lines loving uh, the new way and of course there are children be got to school and things to be done but people can work around them and there's ways of working around these things I know people are working later in the day up earlier in the day to get at their work and productivity you heard it there from Fiona is really really good and that is terrific to hear it really really is the new way of working is here to stay that is for sure lovely to hear from Tommy in Italy this afternoon sending us congratulations on the Imro Awards as well lovely to hear from you Tommy thanks for all the good wishes another listener there saying Jerry, I'm sorry to say to you the Gunners or the Gunners are doomed with the owners they have at the moment just like ourselves at Newcastle United what a mess Arsenal are now in the same boat, says a listener to us this afternoon. I'm afraid you could be right. Norwich and Arsenal, nil point each is the next game in the Premier League after the international break. Oh my God. Well, if he loses that one, they should sack the whole lot of them behind the scenes. Sell the club, I say. Sell the gunners. Cronkies, come on, you've had enough. Get out. Give it to somebody that'll drive uh, the finest club in England, the club longest. They've never been out of the Premier League. What happens if they go down this year? Won't that be shocking? They've never played outside the top league in England. In their history, Arsenal, the only club to have that proud record. Could it end this year? I really hope not. Anyway, just seeing um, another little ditty there. The Irish population is now 5 million for the first time since 1851. Do you know what I say? We could do it another 5 million. This country could support another 5 million, no bother. But maybe with the way we're looking at sustainability and the future of the earth, that's 
a wrong call on my part. Perhaps it is, but there is room for more people in this country. Uh, there certainly is. And double the population, well, I won't see it. Many listening today won't either, but perhaps in the future, what a country it would be with 10 million people here and uh, maybe more, perhaps, depending on where that border lies sometime in the future. But we won't go down that road this afternoon on late lunch. Now, coming up on the show after three o'clock today, I'm going back to my Artist of the Week, Oasis. More about them and a cracking song. And uh, we'll be joined on the show by Anya Duffy. 12,000 euro, well, 12,500. It's cost her to build her new home. It's compact and bijou for sure. But she's done it and she's going to tell us the story. Think about it. 12,500, a credit union loan and she's so happy in her new abode. We don't need all the room, do we? And the possessions that we have in our lives. Indeed, and we don't. That's for sure. Anyway, that's all coming up after three o'clock this afternoon. But we're heading to news, sport and weather at three in the company of Paul Simon. You can call me, Al. You can call me anything you like. Never insult me, I promise you. I promise you. Yes, it's time for my Artists of the Week. And you do know if you're listening to me on Late Lunch, my Artists of the Week this week are Oasis. Now, Oasis almost ended before they began in 1994, the year they released their debut album. They were touring, performing non-stop and living a hedonistic lifestyle. Liam Gallagher had a meltdown on stage in Los Angeles in September of 94, insulting Americans, belting Noel with a tambourine and putting on a truly awful show. Noel quit, but he was persuaded to return, completing the US tour and being part of Oasis that released three more hit singles from their debut album. Yes, the lineup changed. The Gallaghers remained constant, however, and it made little difference to the group's success. Yes, there was rivalry within, but another rivalry developed between Oasis and Blur, and many fans were on one side or the other. So with this in mind, they both took on a challenge. They released singles on the same day, the 14th of August 1995. Blur released Country House, Oasis Roll With It. And to the annoyance of the Gallaghers and the band, who cited several reasons why they were outdone, Blur outsold Oasis. Not good. Noel Gallagher then caused a furore, going on record with the Observer newspaper, saying he hoped members of Blur would catch AIDS and die. Oh no, a retraction followed immediately. No surprise there. Despite all the strife and the antics, Oasis' success rolled on with album number two, What's the Story Morning Glory? And today I'm spinning a classic from it and my personal Oasis favourite. Ah, still magical today, isn't it? And always will be. Don't Look Back in Anger, released on the 19th of February 1996. Quadruple Platinum and Oasis second number one in the UK. And did you know this? It's one of the most popular singles of all time. More from and about Oasis at this time tomorrow, my Artists of the Week. Now, folks, we do know the property market is really heating up and to buy a place to live now is near on impossible. But when I tell you that my next guest went to her credit union, 
borrowed 12,000 euro, folks, I'm saying 12,000 euro, and now has the most compact and bijou little home of her own. Well, let's find out what the story is with Anya Duffy. Hello, Anya. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Not at all. When we saw this, we just had to have a chat with you. I'm not telling a word of a lie, am I? 12,000? Well, 12,500 all in. Well, look, tell us your story. First off, is this the first wee home you've ever owned of your own? Yeah, so this is my first one. And I've always been interested in doing things or converting a camper here and there because I'm a musician. I was always driving a van to get around. And then, of course, I was living in Kinsale for a while, Kinsale and Cork, and it's gorgeous. And the property was going up and up and up. And it was getting really difficult. And I was thinking, how am I going to figure this one out for myself? And I stayed in my friend's cabin for a little while, but, it, you know, I needed to have something myself. So I had a notion when the lockdown came in and I, as being a musician, I wanted to keep busy and I wasn't going to waste any time. So I saw a tree had fallen on my parents' garden. Now, they don't have much land. I'd have done it years ago if I thought they had loads of land, but <laughs> they don't. They just have this little hill up and I saw this little patch and I just, a tree fell down. I said, mm, I'll measure that now and I'll see if they would be okay with it. And thankfully they were. I got out my uh, iPad and did some drawings. And the rest is history. Tell our listeners, Anya, what size is your humble abode? It's only 16 foot long and 10 foot wide and 11 foot high. And Anya, is that sufficient room for you to live happily? Well, I'm happy and I'm on the phone to you and I'm inside this. So it is really, I, I mean, and I mean, I have guitars and, and stuff like that, but I have, I, I've custom kind of made everything so I can fit everything in and I don't have too much excess of stuff. I wouldn't be into having a lot of stuff anyway. So it's it's good for me. I, I don't, I don't lose things very much. <laughs> There's no where are my keys going on, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you couldn't in a space like that. But but seriously, there's enough room for you to sleep. Yeah. You can cook a meal, yeah. eat your meal there, and you have enough space for your clothes and your worldly possessions. And I'm finishing off a little Japanese tub now in the corner with a shower. That's like a high, it's like an indoor, like a hot tub or a really high bath. And I've underfloor heating, so it's... It's just nice to be warm and have something. And, you know, if you if I was renting now, I, I don't know how I would afford anything. It's much easier to pay this loan off and have something. And it's movable. It's built on a steel base. So if I could afford land in the future, if I could move the house. Why would you when you're right beside your mammy and your daddy? You won't be moving I anything. I knew. It was all good for me. And there's some benefits there for them too. Don't you worry. <laughs> it's a quid pro quo. It works both yeah, ways. Well, well, it did. It was kind of good timing. My dad was was just about to get two knee operations. So it was going to be tricky. One after, it kind of also benefited the idea of going okay maybe I should be around especially in a pandemic you know so ah, yeah. it's, it's working out both ways <laughs> working out really good for you tell me this you mentioned you'll have a shower soon so that's great yeah. news what about your WC where do you you know do your worldly needs have you a changed. toilet so I had one ma- made and I was had it outside and actually yesterday I changed my mind because I'd been reading about climate change and that it was going to be very cold in the winter here and I said I'm not sure how I'd want to plod along outside there now when it's minus four 
So I just brought it in. It's a little compost one. Um, I built it myself. It's very pretty and neat, and it's in. I have a little partition, and it's in there now as well. So you'll be surprised what you can do. I'm going to start putting all the pictures up this by bit, so people can see that on my Instagram, which is Anya Duffy Music A I N E D U F F Y Music. You can see all of it, all of it there. I'll be adding as I go. You know, everything is self-contained within this little area. You are happy. What about the construction of it? You did a lot of this work because you are arty. You did a lot of this work yourself. Anybody help you? I did most of it. I at the very start, I had, and my friend does these things, and I had him do the frame because it was going to be the middle of the winter, and as I said, my dad would be sick and. It was a pandemic. You couldn't go anywhere or meet anyone. So a lot of it I had to do myself. There was a lot of restrictions, you know. So sure, I had three ladders up the side of it and up up one down the other, up the other, down the other. <laughs> so, um, and I had a friend of mine just construct the frame and he had someone build a steel base and put fiberglass on the roof and then I took over. So everything else is me. I wired it, but an electrician put the plugs on. You have to get it certified. Mm. So apart from that, now I've had I had my um my father and my niece come down when I was doing the plastering and they drew some patterns on the wall, so they'll be forever there as well. <laughs> so it's just yeah, it's sentimental and it's warm and yeah, you'd be surprised how much you need. And at the moment, there's not much out there anyway. So having something is just special and. You know, the green roof and, I don't know, being warm in Ireland is a dream. (laughs) Yes, and you know what? I admire you so much because many of us live in homes that we rattle around in. We have possessions in them, packed with possessions. We have attics full, storage areas. But I think you have it sussed here. You have enough space to live comfortably, to be warm. And the other thing, you don't have the worries of a major financial burden on your shoulders. This was the main thing. I was thinking, how am I going to manage this? And I had become single just before before the pa- the pandemic started. And I was saying, OK, and, you know, lots of the time the bank wants you to be married or with all these restrictions and with these certain goals about it and and I had just written a song and I couldn't release that. And I was saying, I have to, to figure out life. And I, and I didn't want to, you know, get dwell down on it. So I I managed to do this and, and, and other people could do this. And I suppose, yeah, it's the mortgage thing. Not having that in your head, is it's hard going to even deal with that. I, I For years, I have friends that since barely out of school, they've been paying off massive mortgages. And I'd say they're still paying the same price now, you know. Oh, yeah, you have it sussed, young woman. You really do. And I think it's something that will encourage maybe others to do what you've done. Mental health is is a good thing, you know, Mm. and having all that extra stress. It's no good for people because it's hard to find a way out. You're like, how am I going to do this, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, you have it in one for sure. Anyway, check it out again. Tell us where they can see you and your lovely little home <laughs> thanks very much you can um on my page my instagram or facebook or online they're all at on duffy music a-i-n-e-d-u-s-f-y music m-u-s-i-c well you look at find them all there you've done great you really have thanks and so i wish much. you well with I your really music it. career hopefully that will be back on track sooner rather well, than I've, later oh well, i've converted a little donkey box into a portable stage so that's <laughs> 
getting a great crack out in the road. I call it the duck box and we're having a great time. <laughs> My God, is there no end to this woman's yeah. talents? <laughs> Look out for story. her. She's a travelling show now as well as everything else. Anyway, Anya, you're a Thanks star and you've brightened up our day you. today. Thank great you for joining job. me. Thanks very much. Have a lovely evening. You Thanks. too. Take care, Anya. Ah, isn't that just a great wee story? Boom, boom. Well done to Anya Duffy. Just shows you we don't need all the space. We don't have to hold on to every possession we've ever had. She has it sussed out for sure. And I wish her well with her lovely little home. Anyway, that's almost a lot on Late Lunch for another afternoon. Coming up on tomorrow's show... Bernard O'Barn, former CEO of the FAI and more recently Basketball Ireland, is joining me. Michael Cullen's here as well. He's written a beautiful new book called A Leaf in the Wind about his dad's life and times in Castle Bellingham. Anyway, take care of yourselves this Tuesday evening. Eddie Caffey's on his way with the drive. Do come back and join us for midweek late lunch from 1.30 Wednesday. See you then. Bye. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.